Welcome into another episode of the Inside the Eyeball podcast. Eric Evenson, Art Carmody with you as always. Um, I have no clue what number episode this is. I was just sitting here thinking, what what number am I going to say? Eight? I think it's eight. Yeah. Episode eight of the Inside the Eyeball podcast. Uh, our third one this year in 2022. Art, how you doing, man? We did five of them last year. Yeah, we did five. We started, you know, we were building out this studio we That's have. Right. And we kind of started it late. I think we ended up doing it like March through August. Yeah, and then the radio show. And then we went to the radio show after that. That makes sense. um, Yeah, so, you know, the off season podcast. Then we go into the radio show. uh, Basically the same thing. Yeah, and I can tell you how these sessions go. Basically, Eric sends me a text message saying, hey, when do you want to record the pod? Yeah. I tell Eric basically. I can come at this hour, and then I walk into the office. I tell Eric I'm here. Then we walk into the studio, and I say, what are we talking about? And Eric goes, I have no idea. And we sit down, and here we are. Yeah, I have <laughs> something in my head. I just yeah. sometimes don't have an exact, like, plan. I like to do it, you know, off the script. Uh, you know, just get get your thoughts on different things that are going on. Got the NFL draft coming up. Uh, I think we're going to have some players. Uh, it's, it's different this year. Uh, not as many prospects from the Independence Bowl as I usually would prepare for. But part of that is because we didn't have a game one of those years. So, you know, we we lost a whole year of basically NFL draft prospects. Uh, But spring ball is finishing up. Uh, I think the last spring games are coming up this weekend. We're recording this on the 21st, so I think this weekend. Uh, But, yeah, so a a lot to talk about this episode. It's going to be a fun episode. Uh, what do you want to start with, spring ball or draft? Uh, we'll start. Let's go chronological order. We'll go spring ball first. Spring then ball. we'll talk draft. Okay. Uh, so spring ball is wrapping up. It's spring games uh, the last few weeks. Uh, by the way, I thought it was a little weird that Florida did theirs on a Thursday, but I was explained uh, we're going to have Lauren Sisler, uh, ESPN sideline reporter, AL.com as well. Uh, she uh, she came on the podcast, so we'll play that for you guys here in uh, in a little bit. But she came on, talked about how uh, Billy Napier wanted it under the lights and uh, just wanted that experience for uh, for his guys. But um, I was kind of thro- thrown for a loop when it was a uh, when I was on a Thursday. But uh, okay, spring ball. What do you want to talk about in spring ball? Um. You you have the experience. I just sit here and yeah, I mean, tell whatever, you we're whatever, talk about spring ball yeah, whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about. I, I can tell you this, like spring ball. I think we talked about spring ball last year. So uh, I don't remember what we talked about yeah. spring ball. Really, it's um, yeah, we did talk. We did talk about spring ball. Yeah, yeah. we did because if, if you're if, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, spring ball for young guys is incredibly important. Uh, yeah. I remember like my first spring ball. I went. Louisville, we were it was open competition for the kicker and spot, so there were about five of us competing, yeah. And it was really important to be number one on the depth chart going into spring ball, so yeah. like the time leading up to, to spring ball, and then you, you trying to solidify your spot and holding on to that job. And that's the case for a lot of positions, you you want to be one, one, two, or three going into spring. Yeah. You don't, I mean, if, when you're buried on the depth chart, that's hard because you're not getting the reps. Uh, spring practices are incredibly long. Um, you know, during the season, you may have a long, a long period for during the season, maybe like 21 or 22 periods, which those are usually like five minute increments, um, broken, broken up, uh, spring ball, maybe anywhere from like 28 to 30 plus 
because, you know, you're spending all your time basically with those spring ball practices. There's a lot of fundamentals. It's a lot of young guy work. Um, like I said, if when you're a young guy, it's like trying to establish yourself, make a name for yourself, earn a spot. When you're older, it's basically hold on to the spot, don't get injured. Um, yeah. You know, the scrimmages are – or grueling and long. Um, I learned a hard lesson my uh, first spring or my second spring practice after being a starter. Uh, basically, the special teams coach had told me there would be no kicking during that entire practice, and so I didn't do anything. <laughs> and I think Bobby Petrino noticed that I wasn't doing anything. Oh uh, yeah. And then we had a scrimmage at the end. You're in the doghouse. Well, we had a scrimmage at the end, and I was told there would be no kicking, so I literally didn't do anything that yeah. like entire practice, and the offense stalled, uh, and. Pacino called the field goal PAT team. It's like a 40-something yard field goal. I had, I had not, like, I, I don't even know if my laces were tied. Like, I tied him real quick, went out there, shanked it. Oh, man. Um, and I, he made a point to, like, you, everybody else is ready Always to perform. Always got to be ready. You, you got to be, like, be the backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah. you got to be ready to perform. And I, but I found it odd that, like, we didn't kick anymore after that. Like, you just <laughs> used that one time to, like, make an example of me. Uh, yeah. and, I, and, and I guess, you know, the rest of the Were you already the good by then? Yeah, I was a starter. Like yeah, I was a starter. Okay, yeah, right. I was a starter. There was really no competition, you know, yeah. from, for me at that point. But I think it was just kind of like you always need to be ready. Yeah. Um. You, you know, you learn your lesson. Uh. You talk about spring game and being under the lights. I will say that's one thing that Coach Petrino was really good at. He made the spring game like a a celebration of the prior season because we didn't have like a team banquet or any awards yeah. ceremony or like that. That was always done at the spring game. And it was always under the lights, and it was ones, ones versus twos. And so the offense always looked amazing, yeah. uh, lighting up the scoreboard. And I do remember our, in 2005, um, I'll date myself on this, but ESPNU was like the new channel. Yeah. Like it had just come out like that winter, I believe. And so they were needing college programming. And so our spring game was shown live on, uh, on ESPNU. That was like a cool thing back then, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, and so it was under the lights. Uh, it was really cool. Our offense put on a show, like first team won. We won like fifty six to seven or sixty three yeah. to seven or something like that. And they did all the awards from the prior year where we were, you know, uh eleven and one Liberty Bowl champions and then we were going into the Big East. So it was like, Oh, we're really gonna be the new, you know, uh awesome Big East team. And so there's yeah. a lot of excitement along that. And he did that every year and that was that was really cool because I was always under the lights. They did tailgating beforehand. Um, you know, the fans had fans had a, it was a really neat thing for the fans. Now it's to just do. like normal. Like, yeah, now it's normal. On TV. I had a friend the other day who was, like, complaining about the Alabama spring game. He's like, why isn't it on ESPN? We're always on ESPN. And I was like, well, what's on ESPN? He's like, I don't know. But Georgia spring he's game. Like, he's like, are they punishing us? Like, no, the NBA playoffs were on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, like, the Georgia spring game was on, you know, earlier. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so now it's normal. Now it, it, it's normalized. Um, I think also with with, uh, with the spring games now, it's, it's more um, – Let's not get anybody injured. I know Louisville this year, they were planning to have a huge spring game event. Yeah. Um, big turnout for that. And then because of injuries and transfer portal stuff and, and the whole, you know, guys kind of like getting, uh, I guess, you know, dinged up during spring yeah. ball, they kind of readjusted it. So it was like glorified practice, couple scrimmage plays and stuff. And so yeah. it was a really bad television performance, but like I, the idea was good. But, you know, all these, all these, conferences have networks now and they need to yeah. show something and so they're basically i probably they probably tell all these schools hey you gotta have a spring game we need yeah. to you know have something uh on on tv um but it's still fun for like the players it, the players it's still 
it's still fun. Yeah. I mean, it's still it's still a good time. And then it's kind of a relief. When you get done with the spring, it's kind of like, okay, we, we, we've been working out since the wintertime. We've had conditioning. We've done spring ball. It, it's it's physical. You're doing a lot of hitting. You're doing a lot of drill work. I mean, guys are getting, you know, dinged up. There are breaks between that, which I think is a good thing, too, because, like, you can – Kind of, you're not you're not getting ready for for an opponent. You can kind of adjust your practice. I know. I remember before we had our indoor facility, like we'd have a practice on Tuesday. It would be like thunderstorming, and it'd be like, okay, we're not going to practice Tuesday. Let's move it to Wednesday. So you have the flexibility to do that kind of stuff. If guys are, are banged up, you make making throw in a day where you're recovery before you come out there. But there is kind of that relief when you get done with spring ball. It's kind of like, especially within Louisville, because we had the Derby. Yeah. It was all our spring game was always Friday. Uh, the Friday before. Thunder over Louisville, which is this huge fireworks show that is the start of the two week run to the Kentucky Derby, and so is it is there like a I know we're not on the football track here, but is there like a two week party for yes. like before the Derby? Oh yeah, two weeks really? of, two weeks so of party. So it's not just the like Derby. the it's not just like the Kentucky Derby. No, no, no. There's two weeks of like parties and events and parades and all this stuff. Oh man, for the Derby. So we'd get down with spring ball. Uh, that Friday, and then we would lift weights and have like your into spring meetings like that final week. And then I think finals were always before Derby. Um, yeah. we were always done with school essentially, like kind of like before. Yeah, we always had derby. like graduation the day of the Kentucky yeah, Derby at yeah. Alabama. Yeah. yeah, so it was like, um, then it was fun. Like, we were like, I mean, we were just partying. Up yeah. until derby. And, then, <laughs> and, then you, and then you're on break until you, you start the summer again, and then you get ready to, uh, to uh to play but no spring ball i mean it was um yeah it was a, like my first year i remember just like every day i was like i gotta i gotta solidify myself yeah like, i gotta go perfect well, and what then do you think now more... like and i know you don't you're not in there but like what do you think now with the transfer portal like the balances of like coaches saying okay we got to get these young guys reps oh i think we got to saying... get these older guys reps but also like you know we need some of these young guys to stay but then you also, you know, coaches are probably trying to evaluate their older guys and their starters and say, do I need to That's exactly. do I do I need to get someone in here? Yeah. Like you're taking reps away almost because you're like, okay, I'm going to give this older, you know, this veteran one more chance to say, okay, you're a starter. If not, I got to get a, a transfer in here. Yeah, I think for the coaching staff, it's um I think it's incorrect. It, like spring ball is huge now because yeah. you've got to see what you have and especially the big programs like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio yeah. State—you know—you basically take your top fifteen teams, you know, in the polls. They're basically like, "What holes do we have to fill yeah. that's going to lead us to winning a championship?" And I think you, you know, you see that last year with with Alabama. They're like, "Okay, let, we need another receiver. Let's go yeah. get we go get Jamison Williams." You're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. You're going to see a lot of movement and holes being filled yeah. based on, okay, oh, our uh, our starting left tackle, you know, tore his knee and. Spring ball. Well, yeah. we don't have, you know, our high school, the guys were recruiting high school. They're probably not going to be able to get up to speed that quickly. Let's go to the portal, see if we can find somebody that, that can come in and provide some stability there or some depth there that we lost, you know, in the spring. And yeah, uh, yeah you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of that. So I think it's, I think the coaching staff, I think springs become even more, more important. Um, you know, for, I, like, in, like in Louisville, the spring was also like a big showcase time for recruits. Like we'd have a huge junior day. We'd have, I think we have a couple of junior days during spring where they're um, they're all you know on campus and they're all watching practice, which we loved those days. Yeah. Because coaches had to be nice. Yeah. Like they couldn't uh, yeah, be like yeah, chewing yeah. us out. Like yeah. Like I'd be like <laughs> our, our coach would be like, "Great, Art, great job, man. You're you're kicking the ball great today." I'm like, "You've never said that to me in, in you know three years here." But but all these junior 
kickers want to be like, oh, man, special teams coach, really, really yeah, involved. Great guy, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> he, and the, he and the starting kicker were talking during practice. Like, same with, like, Bobby Petrino. He'd be like, great job, Art. And be like, I, okay. I'm surprised you know yeah. my name. <laughs> well, he knew my name because, he, you know, he, he knew he knew my name because I was technically part of the offense. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we loved the junior days because that was more like, uh, you know, more fun, more yeah. fun practices. So now they're wrapping up and guys are just going home to come back in June. Yeah, some guys will stay in May just, but you know, if they want to get ahead in, in, in summer school uh, or if they either they're behind and they got to catch up or if they're trying to work towards a degree, some guys will stay in May. But primarily the majority of them, that's kind of the only break you have. It's like of a prolonged break. And so yeah. I would come home. I'd always stay for the Derby. I'd come home that like, Tuesday, and then I'd be in, in Shreveport for three weeks, maybe three, yeah. four weeks, just based on the time frame. And when we head back, he'd always co- go back the uh, memorial that Monday, Memorial Day, because yeah. we'd usually always like that, that's when summer's classes started the next day. And so I'd fly back on Memorial Day, and then we'd start, you know, summer conditioning. So late May, early June. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the draft. Uh, we talked about the NFL, NFL Combine the last time. Uh, we had a, a bunch of players that have played in our game. That were in the NFL, uh, uh, got invited to the NFL Combine. A uh, bunch of guys that'll probably get their names called in the draft. Uh, not sure how many early this year, but uh, a good handful of guys that will be drafted that played in our game uh, this year. So, you know, we talked about your NFL Combine experience. I want to hear about your draft experience. Uh, obviously, didn't <laughs> go to the, not didn't, good. Didn't go to the draft. Didn't get drafted. But uh, so, like, were you? Thinking you were going to be drafted, um, or like what? Go take me through kind of like the process of like what was in you know what you were going through and like all that. So so uh, yeah, uh, so I'll take you back. I'll take you from the combine till till the draft, and so I got known the combine. That was kind of a grueling, grueling experience. Then we had our pro day a couple weeks afterwards, and um, I didn't do anything at the pro day, and basically because not that I didn't want to, it's basically because the um, a lot of the special teams coaches there that knew I'd been at the combine, and they're yeah. like, "We're we're just like, we'll, well watch you. you. We'll made wa- all your kicks at the combine. Yeah, too. Well, yeah, that too. I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to go start shanking. But they were all they were all cool, and a lot of them were regional. So they, I kind of knew them already just from my time at time at you know being at, watching them come to Louisville practice. And yeah. I was like, we've seen you kick. We know we know you're good. We also know our special teams coach saw you at the combine. Um, so we'll, we we can file a report if you want. But they're just they're gonna go off what you did at the combine. I was like, that's cool. I, I, Fine, I don't. Yeah, you know, not kick. And I did. I kind of started kicking around just for fun, just because we were in the indoor facility and the nets were down. I was like, I might as well just get some work while I'm here. And so I kicked just to see if anybody would watch. And a couple of the scouts watched, but really, you know, the other ones were like, "Hey, good luck." You know, um, you know, good luck in the draft. Basically, that's what, yeah. what they said. And then I had workouts with the, um, I had workouts with the Falcons and the Bengals. Like, so they came to campus and they worked me out, put me through. You know. Um, Field goal kickoffs, you know, doing a whole bunch of like stuff, just drills. Yeah, and those were cool. Um, and and I really thought the Falcons was a legit uh, possibility because my special teams coach at the at my special teams coach from my junior year at Louisville was the assistant special teams coach with the Falcons. Oh yeah, at the time, and so I know he was putting was, a good word for me with the head guy. Bob, no, Bobby Trino he was gone. He, he was gone. He yeah. had just yeah, he had already left yeah, yeah, for yeah. the uh, for Arkansas yeah, after thirteen games. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Um, <laughs> And so then, you know, it did that, and then we really just kind of just, you know, waiting for the draft. So a few, the week before the draft, I had probably 
probably anywhere from like 25 to 26 of the 32 teens call me just yeah. to like, hey, we want to make sure we have your contact information and your phone number and um, uh, who your agent is, you know, basically just make sure they have everything in file. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is this is good. And then I literally, I, I decided to, um, to, at the time we were moving out of our house, I was like, Brian Brom was in, you know, my roommate. He was getting ready for the draft also. He was potential first round pick. Um, so it was, it was fun hearing his perspective on things. Cause he was like, I mean, he was like flying, the teams were flying him in cause he was yeah. potential first round pick. So like he would, he would go to Tampa and he'd come back and tell us stories about, you know, Gruden basically telling him he sucked. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, I think like the Titans came and worked him out at Louisville. So that was cool. Cause they took him out to dinner. Um, and then it was, it was cool just hearing, all, hearing his side yeah. of things. So it was completely different than, like, what I was going oh, yeah. through and some other team actually going through. And so we moved out, like, I think a week before the draft. And so I, I came back to, to Louisiana. And I remember I stopped at, I stopped in Nashville because that's where my agent lived because uh, he was married to a country music singer at the time. Uh, so I stopped by his house, had lunch with him. And then I came back to Shreveport. I remember on the road, on the road, I got a phone call from the um, – my special teams coordinator at it was with the Falcons, and they yeah. just hit. They literally had that day had signed Jason Elam from Denver. <laughs> yeah. Denver's a free agent, and he was like, "Hey, we're signing Jason Elam. I know you you were high on our, um, you know, on our uh, draft board. Uh, and I, I don't think they were going to draft me, but it was yeah. like, hey, if we don't draft you, like you're going to come in and compete for the job. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, we signed Jason Elam. Like, he basically he was calling to tell me, uh. Don't sign with us. Yeah, because like we're, we're we got a guy that we're yeah, paying Jason Eam a lot of money. Yeah, you're He's not going to make the team. Yeah, unless <laughs> he breaks his leg, yeah. like you're not making the team. And so I I was disappointed because I really thought that was a, a a good opportunity, but I also yeah. appreciated the fact that he immediately called and was like, "Hey, don't you know don't come to Atlanta." Yeah, and so got back and again I talked to all those teams and so that from the draft was like first round it was Saturday Sunday so it was like you know yeah that was, was when all they started day, Saturday on Saturday yeah. yeah and so I knew I wasn't get I knew I wasn't getting drafted Saturday. And but it was more like I want to see where Brian goes. He's yeah. my, one of my best friends, and um, so he started slipping, and I was like, "This sucks," you know. <laughs> so he went to he went in the uh, early second. I think he was like yeah. the forty fifth pick, forty sixth pick to Green Bay. Yeah, and we were like, "Oh man, that's awesome! He's got a great opportunity. He's gonna you know compete with Aaron Rodgers. You know, Brett Favre had just you know left. Yeah, it was kind of an open you know quarterback competition, and we were like, "Oh, he's he, yeah, all he, of us like he, he can he, compete with Aaron. Like, he's gonna beat out Aaron Rodgers <laughs> for sure." And uh, obviously, we you know kind of underestimated Aaron Rodgers. And I remember talking to Brian, and Brian's Brian's as realistic as a you know guy that I know. I remember talking to him during camp. He was like, "Aaron Rodgers is really good." And I was like, "Well, you know, hey man, you never know. You know, you never know how things can happen." And then, yeah, next thing you know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers was winning Super Bowls, you know, MVPs, all that yeah. stuff. So it's you know it's crazy to think back in 2008. We were like, he's not that good. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers not that good. <laughs> Um, and that's also I think too. I think that's what the Packers thought. We're like, hey, we're gonna draft Brian Brom, who's yeah. a decorated college quarterback, who you know could have been a first round pick the year before. If he you know, probably didn't get hurt. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that Sunday comes around, and um, you know, Did talk, you have like a party. No, yeah. no, no party. Just because I was realistic too. I didn't think I in my mind I was like, if I do get drafted, it's gonna be like set late seventh round, yeah. and you know, a team with a ton of picks is like we'll take a flyer on a kicker. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, and I knew, and I also knew that the Saint, like you know, I was also disappointed the Saints, who you know, the home state team. I knew they were high on Taylor Melhoff, who was coming out of Wisconsin, yeah. because he had, a, and he had a much better kickoff leg than I did. 
he was the first kicker drafted in that draft. I think he might have been the only kicker drafted in that draft, and he went in like the late fifth or early sixth. Okay. And um, just showing it show you how you know pretty much wasted pick. He didn't even make it out of training camp. Saints cut him. Wow. You know before yeah. the, before that. So, um, yeah, late round came and going. And I was like, my phone's not ringing, and my agent was been like, hey, you know. You'll probably start getting phone calls in the seventh round with teams wanting to bring you in as a you know undrafted free agent, yeah. and I was like, okay. Did cool. you have a list of like these like like priority like teams? No, after of, like after Atlanta, after the Atlanta thing kind of fell through. Yeah. I was like, I, I really don't know what op, what options are going to be there for yeah. me to really have a solid spot to not not just go somewhere, but to win a job. Yeah, and so so yeah, so then the draft comes and goes, and like my phone is like not blowing, not. Nobody's calling, okay. so I called my agent. He's like, "Yeah, he's like, I, you know, I've, I've had some teams ask about you, but like, nothing, nothing definitive. It seems yeah. like they're like trying to trying to move, you know, move on." Um, this was also, I will, I'll go back. This was also the first year that they did not allow the uh, NFL Europe had disbanded, and so all prior years, each team was allowed ten extra spots, yeah, to bring into camp for like. Extra kickers, extra punters, extra uh, quarterbacks, all that stuff. Yeah. Those ten spots were gone, so that's ten times thirty-two. That's three hundred twenty <laughs> guys are yeah, not getting a spot yeah. to go to training camp. And so um, I also I had a ton of kicker buddies too, and and so I started reaching out to them, and um, it was like none of us were getting signed. Really, it was yeah, it was odd. The, of, of that draft class, there were like Mel Hoff got drafted. Um, Brandon Katu from Georgia. I think Seattle. Seattle picked him up. Um, but he he was going against Alondo Mare. I'll tell you that story in a second. But uh, uh, like Hartley went to Denver, but then he got immediately cut quickly after training camp there. And so yeah, there just weren't a lot, lot, a lot, not a lot of guys signing yeah. places. And then so then Tampa Bay, you know, asked signed me to uh to to go into to camp. But um, even but when I got there, it was kind of like, listen, you're like you're basically just here like kind of a tryout basis. Like we yeah. have, we have Matt Bryant, um, he's uh you know he's, I think his that was he was up for contract maybe the next year, and so like, I, I remember talking to the special teams coach Ralph Bisacchia, who was the head coach of the who was the interim coach for the Raiders yeah. this year. I think he's now with Green Bay special teams coach. Uh, great guy, uh, yeah. awesome guy. He basically told me he's like, listen, this guy's on a mission. <laughs> um, he's in the best shape of his life, and uh, he, he's he he it's his job. I mean, yeah. it's his job. You know, you're you're only here, but pretty much just to get a look, maybe learn, and maybe we'll keep you in the back of mind if something happens. Yeah. So I I loved my brief time in Tampa. It was cool. It was Gruden was there. He's exactly how you just you know you just, he saw on Monday Night Football. Um, uh, never got any you know hint that he was uh. What ultimately got him fired from yeah. <laughs> from the Raiders was there, but uh, it was a cool, really cool experience. Matt Bryant was the kicker; he was fantastic. Um, you know, super super nice guy. Uh, at, at that point, I was like, he's really good. I mean, it was one of the things like I didn't. I had a great uh, time, you know, kicking performance, field goals, kicking off night and day between yeah. me and him, just completely different. And that was like right, it was kind of the wall. I remember t- David Akers, who is a mentor of mine. Um, uh, he's been a good friend over the years. Uh, he called me after after I got let go from Tampa Bay, basically saying, "Hey, this business is tough. Like yeah. it's incredibly hard. It took me. It took him. He was, you know, he was saying, "Hey, it took me 
you know, three, four years just to get an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that that's what you want to do, um, but I'm just saying if you want to do that, that's what that's the path you're going to have to go down if you really want well, it. I, I feel like when back when you were coming out of college, teams were a lot more loyal to their kickers. Like, you know, teams will spend a draft pick on a guy. Like, you know, Daniel Carlson gets drafted by the Vikings a couple of years ago. He misses – Kicks in like yeah. This is kicks in like his second game, and they cut him. Like you know, it's like I think teams are more willing to go through kickers to just you know. Yeah, you know you're you know you're right. Um, uh, like there's more of a revolving door of kickers in the NFL. I feel like right now. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, there is. Um, yeah, back then. Well, back part then of that too, is just not wanting to spend the money on guys. Yeah, like, and, and, and back then there were still a lot of veterans that were still kicking. Like yeah. Martin Anderson was kicking. Gary Anderson was still kicking. Um, you had guys that have been kicking a long time. Ellen Demare, uh, yeah. So like, so David Akers was like, yeah, the, your buddy. Because I was friends with the guy from Georgia. He was like, your buddy. He's got no shot. Like Ellen Demare, it's gonna be. He's amazing. Like that's yeah. just you know that that's what you're up against. And again, yeah, too. If I'd gone to Philadelphia to compete with Akers, like there, yeah, no chance. Yeah, beating Akers out. He's you know all pro. Yeah. Uh, but what he's telling me is like, it's a, it, he he was basically cheering me up, basically saying, hey, listen, this this business is tough. It's incredibly hard just to have an opportunity that you had. So yeah. be proud of what you've accomplished there. Going to get invited to the Combine, have an opportunity to try out with, you know, the Buccaneers. It's, you know, one of 32 teams. Your college career was amazing. Like, yeah. you know, that, that was look at what you did in four years at Louisville. Um, because, you're, you know, you're a legend there for that. So, like, be proud of yourself for what you've done. But like, And I appreciate that because I knew looking at the older I've gotten, I understand the – the reason why he called me to yeah. tell me all that stuff basically is like, hey, I, you know, I'm your friend. This is incredibly tough. You're going to look back on this. Like, you know, you're disappointed right now and, and you know, you're thinking this sucks and you're never going to have yeah. an opportunity, but it's incredibly hard. Be proud of what you did. Yeah. Um, so that was my brief time in the NFL. At that point, you know, I, I played, started playing arena football and had a great time doing that. But yeah, do I look back at the draft with fond memories? No, because yeah. uh, it yeah, wasn't. Sorry a, about asking you. No, no, no. It, it wasn't a fun, fun experience, but. Um, you know, not many people get the opportunity to, yeah. to sit through that and cool think, process to yeah. go through. Yeah, exactly. Even think you have a chance to get drafted in anything. Right. right. And it was cool. I mean, you know, shoot for the Buccaneers to fly you down and put you up and you practice that facility and get, you know, gear and free meals and you're yeah. around the best of the best. And that, I mean, that was really cool. That, that, that was the, the coolest experience. The whole thing was like seeing these NFL guys being around an NFL locker room and just, you know, you you appreciate how good these guys are. Yeah. Like, and it's a business. Like, yeah. You you watch like I, you go from watching Louisville practices where they're trying to run you know a certain period and like nine out of the eleven guys screw it up and they've got to redo the play or yeah. somebody screws up something getting yelled at or whatever. In the NFL, they're so efficient and they don't yeah. screw up screw up and they they tell you they tell these guys one time and they don't make that same mistake again yeah and if you do well guess what we're gonna cut you we're gonna bring in another guy so <laughs> yeah. you know they're, and they're just so good and then to the guys that I was you know in uh in training camp with they end up getting cut too you're like man this guy's a stud yeah and like and, and certain some some of those guys ended up bouncing around and ended up making it but then you're like for all every one of those guys there's 10 other guys that are just as good that just never get an opportunity that are, yeah. that are and I tell people all the time there are Hundreds of guys right now walking the streets that are that are you know two three years removed from college that can easily f- step into an NFL roster and perform. Yeah, it's just it's that hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to get that opportunity. 
Uh, all right, well, that was great, Art. Thanks for uh, sharing your uh, NFL draft story. <laughs> I'll never ask you to back again. <laughs> Put that no, back in, the, no in problem. the cover and never bring it back out again. Hey, it's what we do for the eyeball, uh, inside the eyeball yeah, we're podcast. Com- we're committed to the uh, podcast. Uh, well, uh, that'll uh, that'll do it for uh, Art and I's time today. Uh, but we have Lauren Sissler coming on. We had a great talk with her about uh, spring ball. She's been doing some spring games this year, about bowl season, the status of bowls. Uh, in college football right now with all the changes going on. So really good talk with Lauren. Uh, let's get to her, ESPN sideline reporter, AL.com, Lauren Sisler. Uh, great talk with her. Let's get to that right now. All right, welcome in now to the Inside the Eyeball podcast. Lauren Sisler, uh, sports reporter for ESPN, SEC Network, AL.com, uh, motivational speaker. So, uh, Lauren, thank you for joining us. How you doing? Doing good. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. I know, I know. you and I have been back and forth uh, trying to get this on the schedule, and, you know, spring football came calling, but that's good. Like, football in the spring. Who doesn't love football in the spring? So um, I'm glad we finally got to catch up and uh, hope everything's good your way. Yeah, doing well. And like you said, we're going to have more to talk about now with uh, with spring football finally. Well, I guess it's, it's technically kind of over almost because everybody's already having their spring games. I think there's one more week in the spring games to go, but – it's kind of uh, already past us and looking forward to the fall now. Yes, exactly. I know. And that's one of those things where people get all hyped up, like football season. It's a, you know, I can't wait. I'm counting down, you know. So what, we're in April right now, May, June, July, August. So like four months, like four and a half months. Like, yeah. And I'm like, don't wish this time away. I need to ah, take a deep breath, take it all in, enjoy a couple vacations. I'm going to go home to Virginia and visit visit my family, um, work on some projects. And so, there's still plenty to keep me busy outside of football season. Yeah, That's I know. Every, one question. You're like, so what do you do when it's not football? And I'm like, trust me, my calendar is loaded. Yeah, everybody's always like, oh, football season will be here soon. I'm like, come on, like, like give me a few more months. <laughs> Pump the brakes just a moment, please. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so – I want to talk about bowl season last year. You covered some games. Um, it was a really fun uh, – I think it was one of the best bowl seasons we've had in the last few years. Just a lot of really good games, a lot of fun, you know, instances or, you know, things after the game. Uh, just it, it, was, it felt like it kind of was the bowl season that we're used to having, you know, a year – I guess a year since the, uh, the whole COVID – uh, year in 2020. So, uh, what games did you cover last year, and you know what were your some of your favorite memories or you know takeaways from from bowl season last year? Yeah, and it's funny you you say that because it's one of those things where I <laughs> literally, when it comes to remembering like where I was on a given day, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I got to go back in my notes and like figure out what bowl games did I even cover? <laughs> where was I at? Where were these bowl games at? Because I literally just get in my head like, oh, my gosh. So I try to, like, pinpoint certain um, – a lot of times it's more of, like, uh, like geographical landmarkers that help me to decide, oh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So I ended up covering, uh, which was really cool. So I ended up covering the Potato Bowl, which I've always heard the Potato Bowl is a fun one to cover. And that was uh, Kent State and Wyoming, and that ended up being a fun one, of course, with the uh, the French fries, yep. you know, the, 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 the French fry bath that you get. Um you know, which to me was obviously, uh, was, was, was fun, but I also got to cover the, um, FCS, uh, playoffs. Yep. And so I ended up doing two of those games, um, two of which, uh, JMU was a part of, which was really cool. Um, and then I ended up going to the Fargo dome, I guess, for the, uh, semifinals. 
And that ended up being, you know, the two, the two powerhouses that, you know, have been part of this thing, obviously JMU and um, uh, North Dakota state. So it was really cool just getting to be in that arena and getting to be in that environment because, you know, I think a lot of times, and one thing I will say, Eric, is that, you know, this year, one thing ESPN really tried to do, you know, cause we're always talking about being all in on like the college football playoff, all in, all in. Right. But why don't, you know, let's, let's broaden our scope and mm-hmm. really provide that support and that love for all the teams that are out here competing. Um, you know, because I think, and, and you've probably had this argument and you've probably been through this a lot, you know, how do we continue to make these bowl games significant? Right. Yep. And we want people to, we, we want the players and we want the teams and the programs that when they get, you know, selected to come to your bowl, like, it's a big deal. Being able to compete in the postseason is a big deal. And um, getting to participate in in, in, in in a bowl game is a very big deal. And that's coming from someone that when I was at Rutgers from 2002 to 2006, uh, my freshman year, our football team was 1-11 under Coach Chiano. <laughs> and now, of course, he is back for Coach Chiano 2.0. But I, to me, a bowl game was so significant and it was like oh my gosh you know we finally make a bowl game so that was going into my senior year that I finally got to experience a bowl game with our football team and how significant that was and I think that's one thing that I love trying to transition some of this mindset yes the college football playoff is such a big deal and obviously that is now like this is a new era of college football but how can we continue to prop up and you know um, incentivize and really just uh, highlight you know, all the teams that are competing at this high level. So then not only getting to do that, but then also going down to the FCS level. And I say down because that is some top-notch competitive football, being a part of those playoffs and part of that, you know, unique system of the playoff, um, you know, the bracket system, kind of how they, you know, their their expanded playoff system is, is much different, obviously, getting to experience that. And it was so much fun just being part of that atmosphere and really just the history that is behind those teams that have, have competed at that, uh, you know, at that level and obviously in, in those playoffs before. So, you know, to me, that was a unique experience, something I never experienced before. And then lastly, um, I ended up doing my first uh, radio game for ESPN, which was pretty okay. cool. Uh, it was Pittsburgh and Michigan State in the Peach Bowl um, yeah. in Atlanta. And so, you know, I've done some radio before, but I've never done sideline radio. And so I'm like, okay, how is this going to be different, right? And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, adjusting your mindset to like, okay, people can't see what I'm talking about. Yep. So I've got to do an even better job of explaining <laughs> it, giving, giving people illustrations of, you know, what I'm seeing and what is happening out on the field. So I thought that was just a unique experience and really cool um, as well. So it was a fun bowl season. And, uh, you know, I'm always thankful for the opportunity to kind of be a part of that, you know, when everything is kind of like we're throwing up the confetti and it's the end of the season like getting to be a part of that is always special yeah uh you talked about the teams that you know highlighting the teams that maybe don't have a chance to go to the playoff you know the, the bowl season is their opportunity to show you know who their football team is who their program is one of those teams was here in Shreveport UAB and you being in Birmingham you know a lot about that program what do you think that win because it was one of the biggest wins of bowl season over BYU can do for that program moving forward who's obviously going to the American here in a couple of years yeah, I mean, first of all, tremendous win. Uh, was so excited to see that happen. And, of course, on your turf, which is even yeah. better. You know, I thought about you guys, and I was like, yeah. 
um, you know, so certainly, certainly uh, excited for that. And, um, you know, I'll just say this, you know, UAB is a team that I've obviously followed for many years and been a part of sort of just in, 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 from a reporter standpoint, because I am here in Birmingham. I live in Birmingham. I've been here since 2011. So I've now been over, I've been here for over a decade, which is so hard to believe. <laughs> but I was also part of sort of the the um, dissension of the program and when the program shut down. And I was out standing in front of that building just a couple blocks from where I am right now at the office of Bale.com, literally watching these players file out of this room and be told, like, your football career is over. Everything you signed up for to come here and play for us, like, that's it, gone, over, like, and to see the tears and the just emotion in those guys' eyes and just to realize um, as a former athlete myself, you know, I competed at Rutgers and as, as a gymnast. And just to know the pride that comes with being a collegiate athlete and then when that is stripped of you, how painful that is. So I will just say what Coach Clark has done with that program and literally his loyalty to that program. You know, he has not swayed one bit and I'm sure you know he's had many of opportunities many of offers that have come down that could have you know enticed him to say you know what I'm going to try something else I'm not going to stick with this program they didn't believe in us they did away with us so now it's my turn I need to look out for me and my family and my career and move on and he didn't do that and I just think that you know Bill Clark has taken that program in such an amazing direction and then not to mention Right down the road on the other side of me is the new protective stadium yep. that is gorgeous. And the USFL is currently playing in it, which is awesome as well. Um, I personally have not been in that stadium, but obviously saw it going up, was, was you know, literally made laps around it uh, multiple times uh, as it was being, you know, put together. And so I just think this program is going in such a positive direction. And the success that they've had and what they've been able to build um, you know, in their league, in Conference USA, and to be able to just bring in some some talented recruits and to really, you know, even recruit some of the talent that is local here in in Alabama and in, in the state, which we obviously know with the powers that be of Alabama and Auburn being right up the road, that's not an easy feat. That's not an easy task. And so I think the win over BYU was something that they can certainly use to provide momentum moving forward. They've got the new stadium. They obviously have a beautiful outdoor facility that they use that's covered, that they're able to use. And, I mean, they've got state-of-the-art, um, you know, facilities now, and they're competing with the best of the best. So it's just exciting to see the growth that they've had and literally just the fight, the don't-give-up mentality. And I think that when you have leaders like Bill Clark at the helm, it certainly, um, you know, gives you confidence that this program is just going to continue moving forward. Yeah, so uh, moving forward to the 2022 season, uh, we talked about spring ball a little bit at the beginning. You, what games have you covered this spring, and what have been some of your favorite storylines uh, that you've you know talked about or heard about uh, this spring? Ah, yes, so spring ball. It's uh, it's fun. I will say this, and I will put this out here for all the folks listening. You know, spring ball is a unique animal. It's something different. And a lot of that is because we um, kind of get more access to the players, to the coaches. Uh, we can do in-game interviews with something you don't normally get to do, right? <laughs> get to interview a player in-game, like while his teammates are out on the field and he's over here because he's already been taken out of the game. He's, he's, he's done his time and now it's time for him to sit back and watch the, the twos and the threes, you know, go after it and compete. So, um, I ended up doing my first spring game with Kentucky a couple weeks ago. 
And then I ended up doing uh, Kentucky. And then the following Thursday, just uh, this last Thursday, I was in Gainesville for the Florida spring game. And then on Saturday, I was at Wake Forest for uh, their spring game. And so it was a lot of fun. Um, the Kentucky spring game, not sure if you saw my Twitter feed, but uh, oh, by the way, it was snowing. And <laughs> it's like beginning of April and there's snow coming down. And I'm talking, it was like a blizzard, like months <laughs> of snow. And it was crazy for like, we go up in the, pre- no snow, get in the press box. And literally we're going through, um, you know, going through graphics and just kind of getting ready for this for the game and we look up and I'm talking like snow's coming down and all of a sudden you couldn't even see in front of you. Field is covered, <laughs> it's completely snow white. And I'm like, look, I guess I'm to blame because let me tell you, Eric, I've always wanted to do a snow game. Okay. I've always said, oh man, I just want to do a snow game so bad. Like this would be so awesome. And then I get my snow game right in the middle of spring. I was, I was so, gonna ask, so um, do, are you, do you, so are you a snow game person or do you, snow or rain? If you're if you're on the sideline, oh no rain! See if it's gonna precipitate. If it's gonna be cold, just give me snow. <laughs> yeah. Like to me, it's almost like let's just have fun in the snow. If it's gonna be cold, okay. Yeah. Um, no rain. The rain is the worst. Like that just dampens every. I mean, it literally just messes everything. Yeah. Hate the rain games, and I'm sure you guys have had plenty of those. Yeah, I felt um, bad for. Uh, I, I felt bad for Paul uh, Carcaterra this last year because it was like 45. Wind was blowing like 20 miles an hour. It was pouring down rain, and he was just—he was on the sideline, just getting soaked. Yes, that's it. I mean, and you just gotta roll with it. And especially as a female, like it's funny because I'll like fix my hair, and then it's like, all right, <laughs> throw a hat on, forget about it. Yeah. Like this ain't working. Um, you know, so the snow. But it was funny because as soon as we went outside, I was like, everyone's like, get down there, maybe we can do a snow angel. As soon as I got down on the field, so I ran down from the press box got down there on the field and it was like the sun came out and the snow, the snow melted like instantly. I was like, so I guess in theory, like when I, I can say it was sort of my first snow game by default, but like I didn't actually get the game had not started. Yeah. So I feel like when that milestone comes around again, I will celebrate it. Um, you know, but that was really cool. And then of course being in Gainesville on a Thursday night, so it was supposed to be Saturday coach Napier, obviously new head coach at um, Florida wanted to get more fan involvement, more student involvement with it being Easter weekend. He felt that yep. he could get that, uh, could achieve that if he moved it. So, oh my gosh, the fans really showed up. They showed up. I mean, I want to say, I think the final count was probably around like 45,000 is what they uh, guesstimated that were there. Wow. Um, very good energy. It was just a lot of fun to be in there. And I love what coach Napier is doing with that program. I mean, he is an attention to detail kind of guy and just really has like his, 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 staff around him supporting him and that's one thing we highlighted during the game he's got over 49 support staff individuals that literally are dedicated to a specific area within that program and I think that's so important and oftentimes it's overlooked because it isn't just about the X's and O's and you know I love what he's doing they're going to go on a trip to Greece uh, like a select group of, of the the leaders there on the team are going to go to Greece for a study abroad program and then they come back and you know they're doing a lot of um, you know just player development, financial development, things that they can learn and take with them when they go to the NFL or go into the real world, because we all need that. And sometimes, you know, when you're focused so much on your sport, you don't necessarily get some of that support that you need. So I think that was really cool. And then Wake Forest was a lot of fun. Um, we were uh, we were there just this past Saturday. The weather ended up being beautiful. And there's just nothing like the opportunity to stand behind the line of scrimmage. And I did this with Coach Napier as well. Um, and Roddy Jones did it with Coach Clawson at Wake Forest, but standing behind the line of scrimmage with the coach and saying, hey, what are you seeing? 
what are you evaluating here? It's spring. You got your ones on ones, right? How, you know, when an offense makes a good play, you kind of have to be mad because like your defense obviously messed it up, right? <laughs> they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't um, you know, hit on their assignment. And then vice versa, when, you know, when the defense gets a pick, then you're mad at your offense, right? So it's interesting from a coach's standpoint. What are you evaluating? What are you going to take from this game as you move forward into fall camp? And so I think that was really cool. And then, of course, getting to talk with their quarterback, Sam Hartman, he decided to come back for another year. He technically has two more years left, which is crazy to me. Um, but, you know, a, a talented quarterback, he has grown in so many ways. And I think, um, you know, just being able to stand on the field and talk to those guys and – that capacity is just so much fun, you know, getting to cut up a little bit and, hey, what are you seeing? You know, what as a quarterback is your checklist? And then, you know, he got to roast some of his players for their <laughs> lovely haircuts and um, beards they were growing out. So there were some interesting ones out there, um, you know, so it was cool. And then, of course, who doesn't love a little dancing on the sidelines? Yeah. You know, I had to had to get, get the little dance stuff going. So, yeah, you know, I, I see good. the uh, the sideline shimmy posts on Instagram and uh, it's it's a movement. It is a movement. Yes, it is a movement. And people are disappointed when I, um, when I, when I skip a week. So <laughs> I got to give the people what they want, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, obviously there's so much going on in college football right now. NIL, uh, the conference realignment, college football playoff expansion, which is now being pushed back a little bit, but where do you see the, where do you see college football moving and, in bowl season specifically, where do you see kind of uh, those entities, uh, how do they stand right now, and where do you see them in the future with all the, you know, changing landscape of college football, sports gambling as well all over the country? Wh- where do you see the health of college football and where that's moving? Yeah, that's such a great question, Eric. And, you know, I think it, it's definitely a moving target, and I think it's a lot of just okay, this is the reality of it. This is what we're up against. It's not going anywhere. So how do we use it to our advantage? And I think those are the conversations that I've had with coaches, especially as of late, you know, the transfer portal being a huge topic of conversation for coaches. And the one thing, you know, even talking to Mel Tucker in the postseason um, for, for the Peach Bowl, he said, you know, it's not even just a matter now of recruiting someone to come to your school. It's once they get here, making sure they're happy, making sure obviously everything aligns up for them and not to say that wasn't going on before, but now there is this, you know, this, this road that people can navigate that they can, you know, leave a little bit sooner or they're not committed to a school the way that they were before. And so it does add another layer and another wrinkle NIL. I think that's the one thing even coach Napier was talking about, you know, he feels like he's got a lot of pieces in place, but the one piece, that he's still really trying to work through is that NIL stuff because it is different, right? Yeah. And, you know, the one thing he impressed upon was, <clears throat> you know, you could get this five-star player that comes in that's got this brand name already when he walks on campus and he's already got, you know, whatever dealership up the road already contacting him saying, hey, I want you to drive my car and I'll pay you X amount of dollars. But this kid hasn't even taken a snap of football. Yeah. He said, you know, how, how do we make sure that the yes the the NI deals are there they're here they're here to stay but how do we make sure they're being earned how are they being earned by every player on the team and it's not just something that is handed to them without any sort of um work being put in and I think that's a really key piece to it and so it does play into this whole mindset and the, the question that you asked about how things might look different because you know we are in a different world where 
you know, the transfer portal exists or guys are opting out of bowl games and they don't want to play in those final bowl games. And that certainly, that, that certainly factors in. And I'd love to even get your take on it, Eric, when you, when you, when you tee up a bowl game and then all of a sudden you get a list of five, six, seven guys that aren't playing in the bowl game, it changes the entire dynamic of it. And, you know, it's, it's, Oh, I want to turn on the TV and see so-and-so who's expected to be a first round draft pick. Oh, well, he's not playing. Right. And so it does change the dynamic of things. And I think that, you know, the landscape is certainly changing, but the one thing I'm getting from a lot of the coaches, especially is like, it is here to stay. So really you have to learn to adapt to it and then figure out how you can use it to your advantage. Because if you don't, you're going to get left in the dust because everyone else is going to figure out ways to adapt and to adjust to it and to use it to their advantage. And if you don't, if you kind of just throw your arms up and pout and say, Hey, you know, I don't like this, you know, then, you know, you are going to be stuck in a tough situation. And so I think every program is dealing it with, with it internally their own way. Um, You know, but I think a lot of it starts with the culture and building the right culture within a program and how you can build that culture and help people to, you know, continue to recognize like, you know, this is a team sport. We're here. We are a program. We are all in this together. Um, you know, but as it pertains to the to the bowl games as well, you know, we are up against these conversations about an extended playoff. And then what is that going to look like for these bowl games? And I personally will say, um, you know, to me, bowl games and bowl season is so important. And I'll never forget uh, hearing someone in a conversation. Um, it was actually in, in a meeting at one point. Um, someone that was tied to the college football playoff committee talking about the significance of these bowl games. And it's not just for the players. It is obviously for the players. These are the players that get to go out and compete one last time. And as a former gymnast, what I would do to go out there and compete one last time, you know, with my brothers and brothers and sisters, but then also the people that are at home watching. And, you know, he even mentioned the servicemen and women that are overseas that, you know, had this one opportunity as the great escape to say, you know what, I get to watch for this next month. I get to sit down almost every day and get to watch some football and get to escape from what is happening right around me um, in this, you know, other country that I'm, I'm in or, you know, in this, in this circumstance that I'm in um, overseas. And, and to me, I just think, uh, you know, and, and I go back to one thing coach Gene Chizik said, you know, now he's uh, you know, he was uh, analyst on SEC network and um, obviously 2010, to a national championship coach at Auburn. And then now he's at North Carolina. So he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's move, moving on, but um, I value what he says and just value his perspective. And the one thing he had said coming out of the pandemic and everything that we've experienced in recent years um, with just the pandemic and, you know, really sh- football shutting down in essence for a period of time. And then, you know, picking back up and some schools just not getting the opportunity to play but he had said, you know, he talked about the great escape and what that means is so you have these players that come out and they compete. They've worked 365 days out of the year for essentially 12 or 13 Saturdays during a a year. So when you put that into perspective, that's the one pillar he talked about, which I thought was, wow, you know, you think about that, what you put into it for just that small level of competition, you're only getting to compete those 12 or 12 or 12 or 13 Saturdays in a year. And then the other piece of it was the great escape. And he talks about for the fans and the people that are, you know, the supporters of the program, you know, they had this opportunity and they may not cheer for the same team, but they have the opportunity to come together and be together and to escape 
the world. We all, you know, face challenges, like real life problems. And you get this opportunity now to, you know, have somebody to cheer for and, you know, to feel part of something, feel part of a, you know, a community that, um, you know, is based around that particular sporting event or that team. And, you know, I think that football, college football, and especially the bowl season and, you know, everything that these teams put on the line every single week to get to that point, I think is so significant. And I think sometimes, you know, it's not viewed that way. And, um, you know, I just, I love, I love that these teams have the ability and that there are bowls such as yours that just provide such a support and an avenue for kids to have, you know, to be rewarded for their hard work, you know, win or lose, they're being rewarded by getting to go to this bowl game and put out their final sort of swan song, yep. so to speak, um, you know, for, for, for the world to see on national television. And I think it's, it, it's important and it's, it, you know, it's, it's a fun part of college football that, that I really enjoy. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it uh, better myself. Uh, well, Lauren, before we get you out of here, uh, you do a lot of motivational, inspirational speaking, um, which your story is so eye-opening and, and empowering. So I know it's, you know, we don't have enough time to tell the whole story, but give us a brief look at, you know, your story and, and what you like to say to these these people that you talk to, to inspire them, to empower them um, through, through your motivational speaking. Well, I appreciate that, Eric. And it's something that definitely um, means a lot to me, just being able to sort of share my story. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of intricate details to it, but certainly um, the footnotes version I can share with you. And, you know, really, uh, you know, I, I'm here as a sports reporter and I uh, essentially, I guess, categorize myself as a, a professional storyteller. You know, I get to tell stories, ask a lot of questions and tell stories. Um, you know, and, and I've discovered through my lifetime and really as I've entered into the sports reporting world, the impact of story, because I've seen the impact that stories can have on people's lives and the, the movement that it can create and the shift that it can create in people's mindsets and the people that see someone overcome a challenge and say, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do it. And that was something that was lost on me for many years because of my own story, because I was ashamed of my own story. Um, you know, I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, and I had my mom and my dad and my older brother, Alan, and, you know, we were a happy family. Uh, we were on, always on the go. We were a sports family, always involved in athletics. And as I mentioned, I was a gymnast. My brother was a three-sport athlete. So we were consumed in sports. And if we weren't playing them, we were watching them on TV. We loved NASCAR. We loved football. We loved the NFL. Um, and, you know, we just, uh, you know, sports was part of like our DNA, you know, and, and um, something we always enjoyed as a family together. So I signed my letter of intent to go compete at Rutgers um, on gymnastic scholarship. And it was my second semester. And unfortunately, I had gotten a phone call from my dad um, just hours after having talked to him and my mom on the phone to let, uh, let me know that my mom had died. And of course it came as a shock and I just couldn't believe I was hearing him say those words because I said, my, you know, my mom, my mom, I just talked to her, like, you know, she's 45 years old. What could have possibly happened? And unfortunately, um, she passed away. And then he said, Lauren, get on the next plane you can. I'll be at the airport to pick you up in Virginia. And unfortunately he never showed up that day. And he too, uh, passed away and, um, you know, would, would, soon find out that both of my parents died from prescription drug overdoses but finding that out was something that didn't happen for me internally overnight um it was a process for me because i really kind of put up the walls 
because to me, prescription drug overdoses, um, addiction and overdose are so stigmatized and people struggle in that space um, for acceptance and to, you know, I guess be able to, um, you know, be able to navigate that and to recognize that it is, that it is a disease, that it is a disorder, it's an illness and it needs to be treated as such, but there is such a shame that surrounds it. And I ultimately had inherited that shame. My parents were going to a pain management doctor. They were getting their prescription drugs to help with their chronic pain. My dad had um, several issues uh, and also some depression issues with his service in the military. Uh, mom had degenerative disc disease. And so they were both going to a pain management doctor. So we as, as family members thought they're being prescribed these things. This is going to help them. This is going to help them function. This is going to help them get out of bed in the morning and have a purpose in their life. And unfortunately, um, those prescription drugs eventually took over their life and they were unable to, to control it anymore. And again, I feel like I inherited that shame much of because of how addiction is stigmatized. And so, you know, I've spent the last, you know, I would say the, the, the last decade truly trying to change that. And really it was ignited by the realization that we have this story. We all have a story and those stories have the ability to impact the lives of other people. And when I saw that through my sports career and saw that through my broadcasting and journalism career, I realized like, wait a sec, these, these players are entrusting me to tell their story and yet I can't even share my own. And so that's when, that's when things started to change for me. And I have to be so honest with you. It was like, I was shackled to the shame. And as I started sharing my story, and being more vulnerable and being more open. And again, it took many years and it started in small groups and then it eventually expanded into this role where I'm at now, where I'm able to you know, go to, to, to different events and speak on stage and speak openly and from my heart. Um, but when those shackles of shame came off, that weight lifted off my shoulders and I just felt this, this sense of freedom. And I'm just so thankful that you know, I, I, you know, through faith and obviously prayer and just through, um, you know, dedication to finding a better way of life through all of this stuff. Um, I'm just so thankful that I've been able to come out on the other end and recognize like, okay, you know what, there is power in story. And so when I go out on the football field, I, you know, one of the biggest things, and, and this is this is just something I do. It's something that's special to me. You know, the national anthem plays, and that's typically when I have my conversations with the good Lord above and my parents, and just talk about how um, I want to go out here and just to, to be a light for people. Maybe someone will tune in, and maybe someone will hear this story, and that's always something that's really special to me. And I'll encourage you all, if you haven't done so already, JJ Weaver. He is a linebacker at Kentucky has a really, really cool story. And you can, you can Google it or go on YouTube college game day, did a story and a follow-up. Um, but last year I shared his story on our broadcast for the first time. He was ashamed of his story. He was ashamed of kind of um, uh, he was born with six fingers and was something he never talked about and decided he wanted to start sharing that and maybe use it for a positive. We get a phone, uh, the, the Kentucky gets a phone call or an email from uh, a local third grade teacher that had seen the segment and wanted to connect with JJ and um, JJ ended up going to the school and meeting the teacher who was born with six fingers wow. and two of her students that were also born with six fingers. And he was able to sit down and have a conversation with both of those kids and let them know that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique. And to me, it's like the trajectory of those kids' lives can completely go in a different direction now. 
possibly because of that. So it's really special and uh, something I'm just grateful to be a part of and, you know, the opportunity to be a voice for other people and to be a, a positive voice. And um, I just appreciate the opportunity to share my story with you all. And, um, you know, just uh, appreciate you, Eric, for giving me the opportunity to come hang out on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming. We, we enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. We look forward to, I know you got to run, but we look forward to hearing more of those stories this year and uh, look forward to watching you. So thanks for coming on and we appreciate it. Yeah, we'll keep them coming. And if anyone has comments or questions or just wants to reach out, hit me up. My DMs are open. You can hit me up on social media at Lauren Sisler, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, we'd love to hear from you all. And Eric, again, thank you. I've enjoyed watching your career thrive thank and grow you. from when I first met you. And so keep on doing the great work. And I love what you guys do there in Shreveport. And just, uh, you know, keep um, keep working hard. And, uh, you know, you know, I got I always support you guys and always cheering you on here from Birmingham. Thank you. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can get you uh, to Shreveport sometime soon. Yes, I would love it. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Well, that's going to do it for episode eight of the Inside the Eyeball podcast. Thank you guys for listening once again to the official podcast of the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Thank you to Art for coming on, talking about spring ball, NFL draft. Thank you to Lawrence Sisler for sharing her really empowering story. Uh, Also talking about more spring ball, bowl season, her memories, uh, and and just the overall look at college football. So uh, once again, thank you guys for listening. Continue to share, subscribe. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, uh, really wherever you listen to your podcast, keep on listening to the Inside the Eyeball podcast. Share it with your friends so we can keep on growing this thing. Thank you once again, and we'll see you guys next month.